a very good morning. So happy to see all of you. Old and new friends alike, we're so glad that you're uh, with us this morning. Um, we're continuing in our study of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, for those of you that are looking for a seat, the entire front row, the splash zone is widely available. Um, so I invite you to come and join us up front. But we are in a study of the Sermon on the Mount. And I know this morning, as uh, if you were here when John came and read our scripture for us, he began in uh, Matthew chapter 5. Um, many of you got a little bit nervous thinking to yourself, he made it all the way to chapter 7. And he loves the Sermon on the Mount so much, he's just going to go back and start over again. Um, and you're thinking, my goodness, how long is he going to teach from this text? Uh, but I assure you that we're not going to go back, but it, that text, Matthew chapter 5, and the Beatitudes that John read for us are so important, and we'll see how they connect to where we are at today in Matthew chapter 7 as we are coming to the end of this section. If you're a guest with us, new with us, uh, we here at City Church, we sort of work our way through sections, books of the Bible, and we've been in a study of the Sermon on the Mount for this entire year and are near the end. Next week will be the final uh, message uh, from this text. And it's so important that we do that, as I'll allude to in a moment. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, picking up in verse 21. Just as a way of recap, Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount to the gathered disciples on a mountainside. And he began telling them, as he began this sermon, he was telling them that the world is upside down. Everything that they knew about the world, of the world, he was saying to them, I have changed it all. There is now nothing that you once knew that will any longer be the same. He came to tell them that there is a new world, a new order, a new way of living life. He came to usher in his kingdom, the kingdom of God, the everlasting kingdom of God that man had not seen, rejected in various ways. But he was saying, it is here, it is here now. And then he offered up as he began the Beatitudes to begin this sermon. And by doing so, he was saying, let me show you what I mean. Let me tell you what the kingdom of God is like. Let me explain to you how you become a citizen of the kingdom of God. And then as we went into chapter six, how you live life in this new citizenship as citizens of God's kingdom, as his people, what does all of this look like? And then he closed the sermon right around the middle of chapter seven. And he starts to apply the sermon for us, beginning in verse 12. Or seven, excuse me. As we close, Jesus gave, as he's applying the sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, all that he had preached, he gave us three warnings. Three warnings that said, I want you to understand my kingdom. I've told you all about life in my kingdom. I've told you the way you are to live. I've called you all of these things. But let me just tell you, there's going to be some distractions there are going to be things that would lead you away from the life, away from citizenship in my kingdom. And so he gives us these warnings. And last week, we looked at the first warning, which was beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. And if you were with us last week, you know that we went back from there to verses 13 and 14. What Jesus is doing is he's told the disciples, there's a narrow gate and there's a wide gate. Entering in through the narrow gate leads to life. The wide gate, which is the way of many, leads to destruction. 
And so as he begins these three warnings, the first of the false prophets, he describes us. And in a sense, we understand that the false prophet, those that are speaking and trying to convince us that they're speaking for God, but are yet leading us astray, they're standing outside the narrow gate. And they're saying, oh, no, no, you don't have to come this way. You don't have to come through Jesus alone. You can, you can go over there. You can go through the wide path. That's what the false prophet does. And Jesus warns us because he wants us to enter in through the narrow gate. And out of his love for us, out of his concern for us, he says, this is what's going to happen to you. There are going to be people that come to you and tell you everything you want to believe, everything that you think you know of God, and they're going to convince you that Jesus said it himself. But that's not the truth. Go back to what I told you. The Beatitudes, chapter 5, chapter 6, he says. So here he comes to his second warning. In verse 21 through 23, three verses, Jesus says the most sobering words, the most convicting words, I would suggest to you that have ever been spoken on this earth. Jesus himself, God, said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You want to know why we practice expository preaching here at City Church? Why we work our way through texts? Because I don't want to preach this text if I get to pick and choose. This is a hard word. This is a convicting word. This is not the easy things. This doesn't make us always feel so good. But this is the word of God. If you're hearing this, if you're hearing online or you're with us in the room, don't hear this as words of Ryan, the pastor, the idiot on the stage. Hear this as the word of God. Jesus himself said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And I can tell you this word has kept me up at night, not just this week, but many times in my life thinking to myself, Jesus, when I meet you, when that very real, true day of judgment comes, will I be found to be a citizen of your kingdom? I ask myself that. I don't want to just skip over this. These, again, are the words of Jesus. They're his words. And Jesus said them to us. He gave them to us for a purpose, for a reason. And so if when you hear these words, there's some tension in your heart, there's some conviction, something kind of stirring in you that you're like, he's really going to go there. I'm a bit nervous. Then I just pray you just dig in and listen to the Holy Spirit of God. These are, again, the words of God. Now, as we hear these words, again, we have to frame it in that context. Jesus is saying to every one of us, Enter by the narrow gate. Enter into everlasting life. Don't go the way of the wide gate. Don't go the way of the many. That way leads to destruction. He is standing outside of the gate saying, this is the way to life. This is the means to everlasting eternal life and hope. 
And so he's telling us this out of love, pleading with us to hear, but also warning us. We talked about the warning of the prophets. That was a warning of other people. He's telling us how to enter into the narrow gate. He's saying, hey, there's going to be people. They're going to come along in your life, and they're going to lead you away from me. They're going to lead you away from the truth of Scripture. They're going to lead you away from the narrow gate. That was a warning about other people, outsiders. This warning, the reason that it hits home so closely and is so convicting to our souls is because it is a warning about ourselves, It's not a warning about other people. Have you ever noticed in your life when other people are doing things, it's really easy to point the finger? Well, those, yeah, of course, look at them. I mean, they're they're lying. They're doing this. There's a lot of points. It's very easy to do that. But what happens when you're the source of the problem? We don't so quickly recognize that, first of all. It's very hard for us to admit that our problem, what we see happening in our life or whatever the case, might be from within. So that's why this hits so close to home is because Jesus is telling us that first warning was about others. This warning is about deceiving ourselves. He proves how well he knows us. He proves his omnipresence. He tells us 2,000 years ago, he saw each and every one of us sitting in this room, reading his words and telling us, don't be deceived. Don't listen to yourself. Let me tell you what you're to do. So he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, as we try to look at this text closely and understand what Jesus is saying and really apply it to our own lives, we've got to remember to take this text in its entirety, in the whole context of it. Sometimes in life, we take parts of scripture, we'll take one little verse, and we'll sort of peel that off and say, okay, this is a good verse, I like this verse, and then we'll take this other one, or we'll take one piece and say, this is what it means, but we have to take it in the whole. So in verse 21, when he says, Lord, Lord, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father, what can happen if we read verse 21 all by itself, we can say, see, Jesus, like James, is telling us it doesn't matter what you believe, it matters what you do. So you're going to say, Lord, Lord, you're going to talk about Jesus, but then you're not going to do anything. It's the one who does the work of my Father that will enter the kingdom. But then in verse 22, Jesus says, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Wait, so is it about what I do or what I believe? And we think... We can be tempted if we just take those verses in isolation to think Jesus is addressing one or the other. But once again, that's not what Jesus is doing. In his wisdom, in all that he understands, he's taking, we have to take this in the full context. This isn't a warning about belief or a warning about works. And he's not saying some of you will more likely fall on the work side and some of you might more likely fall on the belief side and you have to have both, you have to kind of go to your opposite. That's not what Jesus is addressing here. He's putting them both together. He's saying, you deceive yourself when you think it's your belief that saves you or it's your works that save you. Both of those are untrue. And so as we read this text, I would submit to you that this text, one, is the most challenging, the most somber serious words that have ever been spoken on this earth, I would also say to you that when Jesus spoke them 2,000 years ago, he saw this culture, this time, in this place, and was addressing it directly. 
something that we call sometimes cultural Christianity. You might not have heard that term before, cultural Christianity, but let me explain to you a little bit of what it looks like. When I travel, Laurel and I travel periodically. We need to do more of that, by the way, love. Um, But when we do get to travel, um, she accuses me of sort of taking on the dialect of wherever I go. (laughs) So when we we go to the, the deep south, she'll say, you start talking a little slower, you know. Excuse me of sounding like Lane Garrett. Some of you know her. <laughs> or if we go to other parts of the country, I, I don't speak good Spanish. I speak a very small amount of Spanish. So I try to speak a little Spanish. And then there's some English that gets mixed in there. And I love that language. I'm trying my best, but it kind of gets merged together. And she, she says, but all of that is because I'm, I'm sort of trying to fit in. I'm trying to be a part of the, the local culture, trying to just be a, you know, one of the locals. I don't want to be the outsider. I like going to the local restaurants. I don't like going to the tourist places. I, I, I want to immerse myself fully wherever I am. Well, in some ways, if you have grown up in the South, in Texas, I could even say if you've grown up for, in many parts of America, you've been immersed in a culture of Christianity. Everywhere you look, you hear and see Christian-sounding things. You know the guy with the commercial that has the throw pillows and all the wall hangings he throws away? Some of y'all get that. Only a few of you. There's, but he, he's, we, it's a progressive commercial where we sound like our parents. All right? Well, in some ways, we've got all these trinkets about Jesus floating around in our homes, in our lives, or whatever it may be. And Jesus is saying to us, it's not about having all these things. It's not about looking Christian. That's not what I'm after. That doesn't make you a citizen of my kingdom. And so, as Jesus spoke these words, I want to encourage you a little bit. He's wanting you to enter through the narrow gate. He doesn't speak these words as a bar. He just told you to enter through the narrow gate. Don't hear these words as saying, I'm trying to keep you out. What he's saying is, I want you to understand yourself. I want you to know the temptation that I know about you more than you know yourself. And I want you to follow me. And so he says these words to us out of love. And let me tell you, this hard word that you're hearing today, this could possibly be for some of you the greatest day of your life. Because it is the day that you will finally let go of trying to hold on to the things that you have done. And you will believe in Jesus. And today will be the day of salvation for you. And it will be a day of rejoicing for you and for all the saints of heaven as you finally believe and you truly enter being converted, being made new, being created new in Christ. You enter in to the kingdom of God. So don't hear this word and shrink back, but hear this word with open ears and an open heart. So what is Jesus getting at? Lord, Lord. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. The first false hope, the first temptation that Jesus is making us aware of in our own hearts is that we believe the right things. We think that our knowledge of the truth, our awareness of the truth, our sort of confessing of it, that it is true, is what calls us or allows us to become citizens of the kingdom, allows us to enter into the narrow gate. Look at what they say. Lord, Lord, they call Jesus rightly, properly, by the title that he deserves, Lord. And they also, by the way, they do it with zeal. They don't just say Lord. 
They say, Lord, Lord, there's this passion within them as they call out to Jesus on this day of judgment that he is foretelling of. They will call out, Lord, Lord, with passion, and they will acknowledge that he is Lord. But clearly, it's not the belief, the acknowledgement that that is true, that redeems them. Now, we must say, Lord, we must acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord for him to be our Savior. That is a requirement. That is true. If we don't acknowledge Jesus as Lord over our lives, then we are not citizens of his kingdom. We will not be welcomed in on that final day. But that is not all that it is. And that is not ultimately what redeems us, is what Jesus is saying here. We are required to do that, but that's not what is the redeeming point. See, Jesus knows our hearts better than we know ourselves. And we can believe all of the right things. Some of you know my story. I've shared it many times in our church before. I grew up in the church. My father was a minister in a local church. Every Sunday, I was there. Every Sunday night, I was a part of the youth program. Every trip that they took, I went on. Before I got too old and they didn't like my voice anymore, I stood on the platform and sang and led worship for the church. I taught the Sunday school classes for the littlest kids. I served, I did all of the things, and you would never find me. There's not a day in my life that I remember ever denying that Jesus Christ is God, ever denying that Jesus died on a cross to atone for sin, ever denying any of the truths that we find in Scripture, ever telling you that Jonah and the whale was just some made-up story, or ever saying that I don't really believe this about God. I would have never denied any foundational truth or doctrine of our faith. And yet for 18 years, I walked this life, I walked through this world, not redeemed, not a new creation. I believed. I would have confessed and acknowledged all of the things that are true about God, but that's not what redeemed me. That's not what saved me. That's not what made me whole. And Jesus is saying, we can believe the right things. We can acknowledge him as Lord. We can know what is true. And it doesn't do anything, even if we're fervent and passionate about what is true. We can fight, as Matt alluded to, feeling as if it's our purpose to take up arms and push back against darkness, proclaiming truth, and not be a people who are redeemed, not be a people who've been welcomed as citizens of God's kingdom. It's not about what you believe or knowledge of the truth Jesus is saying. It's the one who does the will of my Father. We're going to come back to that in a few moments. Then he says in verse 22, some will say, in fact, he says many will say, many, not just a few, but many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name. It's not just about calling him Lord, but these do a great and mighty thing. By the way, when we read the word prophecy, too often we confuse that with some sort of fortune telling. We sort of kind of merge what we understand of the world. That's not what prophecy is. Prophecy is speaking the truth of God. Sometimes it's speaking the truth of God about what God is doing, but it's just the truth of God, speaking God's word, 
That's what is being said when we think of prophecy. And what Jesus says here, you can be a preacher who proclaims all of the right things, who teaches all of the right doctrine, who does everything that you're called to do as a minister of the gospel. And you can do it in your own name, not in my name. And he warns, there's a narrow path, not the path that is wide. You want to know why I stay awake? Why this is convicting for me to read? I could possibly say everything right to you. And then go to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, did I not do all of these things? Did we not plant a church? Did we not host great and mighty things? Did we not see people even coming to faith, responding to the truth of the gospel? The Old Testament story of Balaam, he did all of the right things, said all of the right things, but it was told of him that he was a hireling, not a citizen of the kingdom of God. King Saul, the anointed of God, did many things on behalf of God, not a citizen of the kingdom of God. We move forward to the New Testament. There's so often people prophesy doing things. 1 Corinthians 13, 3 says, you can do all of these great things, but if you have not love, you're a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. Because it's not about what you do, Jesus is saying. It's not about professing the right truth or acknowledging what is true. It's not about doing these things. In our context, this is where that overflow of culture comes. We might say to ourselves, Lord, Lord, did we not have scriptures hanging all over our walls? Did we not have the throw pillows that said it is well? Did we not post on our Instagram stories beautiful pictures every morning with its new mercies every day? Did we not come to City Church in Melissa and lead a camp where kids came to faith in Christ? Did we not do, did we not offer this, did we not go on Thanksgiving morning to serve the homeless shelter? All of those things that we think of. Good things, by the way, friends, but not what Jesus says leads to the narrow gate not what leads to everlasting life. And this is where we have to acknowledge that we have a real enemy. We have to take seriously the warning, the warning that Jesus offers us here. He tells us that we can be deceived. Back to believing, speaking of Satan, James 2.19 says that even the demons rightly acknowledge me as Lord. Belief in the right truth, doing the right things. This is not what it is. But Satan would be fine. Our enemy would be fine if he could convince us to put our hope in the wrong things. Anything to keep us from entering through that narrow gate. Anything to prevent us from hoping in the right thing. He will do whatever it is. He is fine with us posting, saying, believing, anything we want to do. He's fine with all of that. Because guess what he knows? That doesn't redeem you. That doesn't bring you in 
to the kingdom of God. He's fine with you knowing all about Jesus and knowing all that Jesus might call you to do as long as you're not known by him. That's what our enemy does. Now you're asking yourself, well, that sounds pretty bad. Pastor, what am I supposed to do? Well, it starts by looking outside of yourself. Notice the words that are offered to Jesus on this day of judgment that he's foretelling of, and he's warning, this is how you enter into the narrow gate. He says, they say, Lord, Lord, will we enter the kingdom of heaven? It's not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, but who does the work. Then, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? Underline, circle, emphasize, did we not do? Did we not believe that you were Lord? Did we not do the right things? Prophecy, healing, many great and mighty things in your name. So we have to remember that it's not about us. Make it more personal. Did I not believe Jesus? Did I not say the right thing? Do you notice again where that emphasis is? It's on us. Perhaps you've heard this before sometimes in evangelistic uh, sort of encounters and endeavors as we share the truth of the gospel, the hope of Jesus with other people. We sometimes find ourselves and you'll ask, well, what, what is it that would allow you? If you were to face Jesus, or if you were to die today, what would your answer be to God as to why he should let you in? And we fill in that blank. And so many of us would say, well, I believed. I did this. I believed in the right truth. I believed the right doctrine. I did the right things. And what Jesus is warning us here, what he's saying is, it's not about you. It has nothing to do with what you have done. It is all about what I did, what I have done. And here in this Sermon on the Mount, where he is thinking forward to his walk to the cross, he's saying what I will do for you. We have to be honest with ourselves. Do we believe the right things about Jesus, knowing that these things are true, but don't apply them to ourselves? I told you my story of growing up in the church, knowing all of the right truths. It was not until the Holy Spirit of God, when I'm alone in my bedroom, being encouraged to read the book of Romans by my brother, the Holy Spirit of God comes and he convinces me that I am that sinner that Jesus went to die on the cross for, that I am in need of a savior, that I am not worthy. Taking me out of the equation is what he did showing me that that is true. We have to get out of our own way sometimes and be honest with ourselves. Jesus, his purpose when he said these words was not to keep us up at night worried about our salvation. But he knew the temptation that our hearts would face. He knew how fickle our hearts were. As we we're going to sing in a few moments, he knew how prone to wander we are. And he wants us to take seriously this calling to walk on the narrow path, to come into his kingdom through him alone. And he loves us enough to not allow us to just drift away and not ever be told, not ever be warned. I don't know if you ever had something where maybe you had a friend or a neighbor or just someone and they did something to you that, that harmed you, that hurt your feelings or something like that. 
And you just, the next time you saw them, you just smiled and gave them a hug and I love you. No one's ever done that? Yes, you all have. You're all lying right now. <laughs> you don't want to say anything. It'd be awkward, whatever. Jesus doesn't do that here. Jesus knows exactly what our hearts are thinking. He knows how tempted our hearts are to drift away from his truth. And he say, I'm going to tell you exactly what's going on. You're thinking, you're believing. Your citizenship in my kingdom is based on what you have done. Believing the right thing, even speaking the right thing, or acting and doing the right thing, and that is not at all what it is based upon. Jesus loves us too much to let us fake it. And so he doesn't want us to be deceived by our own hearts and to think we are good. He wants us to enter through the narrow gate. And so now you're saying to yourself, well, what am I to do? If it's not about believing this or not about doing this, what does it look like? Well, when you get out of your own way and you realize it's not about you, it's not about you. The I culture that exists today, we have to eradicate that from our hearts. And this is why we began back in Matthew chapter 5 with the Beatitudes. You want to know how you enter in through the narrow gate? Jesus told us from the very beginning. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We acknowledge before Almighty God that we are spiritually destitute. We are completely impoverished with no capacity to right the wrongs. No capacity to deal with that. And when we come before God with this poverty of spirit, he says, then we are welcomed as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. When we grieve, Jesus is not speaking here about mourning just the loss and brokenness that we experience in this world. What he is speaking to here as a way of reminder is grieving our own sinfulness, mourning the fact that we are so impoverished, that we are without hope. And so we grieve our sin, and he promises us when we do that, we shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. When we come before God with this humility, humbling ourselves, I'm taking even this physical posture of getting low before God, he promises us we will inherit, we will receive all of the blessings. The whole earth will be ours. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. When we recognize that there is no righteousness within ourselves, that we can't find that on our own. When we hunger and thirst, right now you're hungry, it's a little bit warm in here, I'm thirsty. When we hunger and thirst, we're desperate for something that we know we can't find within ourselves. I can't believe enough, Jesus. I can't do enough, Jesus. That is the moment where Jesus says we will be satisfied. He promises us that. So how do we enter the narrow gate? We get low before God. We recognize the poverty of our spirit. We mourn and grieve our own sinfulness. We humble ourselves before God and we cry out to him, give me a righteousness that I can't find on my own. And God's word says, he who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, became sin for us, laid down his life on the cross so that through him, through what he did, only what he did, all what he did, completely what he did, we might be called the righteousness of God. Yes. All about him. The narrow path is a laying down of our lives, 
a humility of our lives, saying, I do nothing. I don't believe enough, Jesus, to make it real. I don't do enough to make it real. It's all about what you did, that finished and final work on the cross. So as the worship team comes up, I just want to invite you to consider where you have placed your hope. Take these words of God seriously. Has your hope been found in being able to articulate the right truth, the right doctrine? You know, I know we have lots of teachers in the room. They, they aren't satisfied when you can just regurgitate the information on a piece of paper. Now, I know that's how they test us sometimes, but that's not the hope. When a teacher teaches, they want you to know it. They want you to be able to live with that information and know that it is true. It's not about just being able to regurgitate the right things in the right circles that make you a citizen of God's kingdom. And it's not about doing all of the right things. All of the acts of service and all of the love and all of those things, those are great. Those are an overflow of God's grace in your life, but that's not what redeems you. So as the worship team leads us, perhaps you need to just be seated with in a posture of prayer. Maybe you're gonna stand. I don't, that doesn't matter. But I wanna invite you to just ask yourself, where is my hope? Is it in something that I have done believing rightly, acting appropriately, doing the right things, or is it in the complete, in the final work of Jesus Christ on the cross? Do you find your righteousness in him alone? And perhaps, again, let today be the day of salvation where you'd say, yes, I know now I'm convinced the Holy Spirit of God has moved on your heart in a way this morning that says it's not about me. It is all what Jesus has done believe. Repent to God. Mourn that sin and give it to the Lord and watch as he comforts you, as he satisfies you with his righteousness. So let's pray. Holy Spirit of God, I pray plead with you now to do what only you can do. Would you show us where we've put our hope in the wrong place? whether that's in the proper belief, being able to regurgitate or acknowledge good doctrine, good truth, even the words of Scripture, or perhaps in some acts of service, doing all the things that we've been called to do. We need both of those things, Lord, but you've told us this morning, you told us 2,000 years ago, your word remains. That is not the narrow path that leads to citizenship in your kingdom. And you desire that all would come to salvation. And so I pray now, do what you do, God. And help us to be a people who walk humbly before you, acknowledging that it's all about you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.